Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount Plus. I'm in a period of emotional upheaval. Is that all the oh, I don't care crap? A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm gonna steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Fairmount Plus. The energy transition is upon us, but what role will energy companies themselves, together with other businesses and governments, adopt in reaching net zero? Powered by How, an eight-part podcast series from Reuters Plus, in partnership with Aramco, will explore innovations and technologies aiming to move us towards a more sustainable future. Join me, Nisha Pillay, for in-depth analysis of these questions. Aramco powered by How. Listen now. I'm so excited to tell you a bit about today's sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, Music Masters Collective hosts different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like Bill Frizzell, Kurt Rosenwinkel, Julian Lodge, Mark Rabot, Wayne Krantz, Oteil Burbridge, the Milk Carton Kids, and so many more. At an event like Alternative Guitar Summit Camp happening this August, you can expect in-depth workshops with guitar masters, once-in-a-lifetime performances, the opportunity to play alongside your favorite musicians, and a lot of fun. You'll leave this event packed full of wisdom and with a whole community of musicians to create with. This all-inclusive week in the Catskills Mountains of Upstate New York is guaranteed to be magical. Scholarships are available, but spots are extremely limited. So visit www.alternativeguitarsummitcamp.com backslash inside to learn more. Greetings, everyone. This is Chris Pandolfi from the infamous String Dusters. You may also know me as the host of the podcast Inside the Musician's Brain. And today, I'm here to let you know about Factors, delicious, ready-to-eat meals that make eating better every day super easy. Wherever tomorrow takes you, be ready with pre-prepared, chef-crafted, and dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door. And you'll have over 35 different options a week to choose from. That includes keto, calorie smart, vegan, veggie, and more. I had a few great factor meals last week, and they are so quick to prepare, two minutes each. And this is like really good food, restaurant quality food. And the plans are really flexible too, which is huge. So if you want to check it out, head to factormeals.com slash musiciansbrain50 and use code musiciansbrain50 to get 50% off your first box and two free wellness shots per box while your subscription is active. That's code musiciansbrain50 at factormeals.com. Hello, everyone. And welcome back to another episode of Inside the Musician's Brain. I'm your host, Chris Pandolfi from the infamous String Dusters. And this is episode 14 of the podcast. I've got the second part of my conversation with Oteil Burbridge coming up here in just a minute. And if you tuned into the last episode, you know just how juicy this conversation was. So much interesting stuff. And in the uh, second part here today, Oteil will explain to us the difference between a musical genius and a musical Jedi 
And we'll also get some Colonel Bruce Hampton stories, and those are always some of the best, so stick around for that. I'm also going to break down one of the songs from my new record, Trans Banjo, that just came out a few weeks ago. We're going to go track by track, instrument by instrument, and give you a unique look inside the music so you can hear all the different parts. And I'll definitely talk about the whole creative process. This is definitely the first kind of concept record that I've ever made. And there's a lot to this one. So this I'm excited about this intro. It's going to be kind of like, have you ever seen those classic albums, documentaries? Not that Transpanjo is a classic album by any stretch, but classic albums, Asia, Steely Dan, where Walter Becker and Donald Fagan are sitting at the board, soloing up all the guitar solos that didn't make the cut on the record. I love that stuff, and I think it's it's so interesting to learn a little bit more about the music and how it came together. So we'll get to that here in just a minute. Inside the Musician's Brain is brought to you by Osiris Media, fantastic company that's behind endless quality podcast content. Check them out. We are also brought to you by Americana Vibes. That's the infamous String Dusters record label. And we're gearing up to bring all kinds of cool things your way. Shout out to our sponsors this season, EMG. Love these guys. They make such great gear, including the ACS sound hole pickup for acoustic guitar. They're mostly known for their electric guitar pickups, which are super high quality, but they make great stuff for acoustic instruments as well. So if you're looking to amplify your instrument, check out EMG. They get bonus points for being made in the USA. Love that. Inside the Musician's Brain is also brought to you by D'Addario, makers of all sorts of quality gear for musicians. And they're always pushing the envelope, coming out with new innovative products and the XT strings. I've had these on my banjo for quite a while now. Super durable and the tone is fantastic. So Musicians, if you're in need of strings or musical accessories, high praise for our longtime ally, D'Addario. All right, so in this intro, I am excited to talk about creativity and the creative process. I was deep in that process last summer, finishing my new solo record that just came out, Trans Banjo, been out a few weeks now, and actually debuted at number seven on the Billboard Bluegrass chart. So I was really excited to see that. And yes, I'm well aware that there are people who will not agree that this album is bluegrass, but such is life. I can I can hear the sirens. I can hear the bluegrass police coming for me right now. But it definitely has elements of bluegrass. The banjo is really the main melodic voice on this album. And that's a departure from my last solo album, Interference, which was definitely more soundscapey more ambient vibes, synthesizers, beats, virtual instruments, strings, all the different stuff that's here in my studio. And that one was more focused on my chops as a producer. And that role is really about designing the sound and hearing a certain song, a piece of music, and deciding what's the most meaningful way to bring it to life in terms of what instruments should support those melodies and how things should sound and how it should come together. And that's a musical role that I love. That's what happens here in, in my recording studio. And that's what that last record, Interference, was really all about, was just pushing the boundaries as a producer. And you'll see my solo moniker, Trad Plus, attached to these projects. You can also find them if you search Chris Pandolfi. And quick side note, that term Trad Plus comes from the late, great Doc Watson. I remember seeing him describe his own music as traditional plus 
which in his words meant traditional music plus whatever else I'm into. And I just thought that's so, that's so badass. That's so cool. And that's what I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to take all these eclectic sounds that I'm into and use them to recontextualize the banjo. So big props to Doc Watson. So as I was finishing Interference, I was in this awesome raw kind of creation phase, no real end goal in sight. And I was experimenting with sampling old vinyl records, more specifically sampling these old classical records. And I started using them as part of the sound bed for these new banjo tunes that I was writing. And I was like, man, this is cool. I think I've got something here. So I threw together some demos with some beats and some of these samples and my banjo stuff. And as I was looking ahead to my next solo project, the concept for Trans Banjo was really born in that moment. And the idea was to bring together my skills as a producer, building on interference, these new symphonic vinyl sounds, and of course, the music that I was writing on banjo. And that was about four years ago that this concept first emerged. And that's when I started working on this new album. And it was a much bigger undertaking than I could have ever anticipated, starting with this big experimentation phase and then on to actually writing the tunes and then writing, performing, and recording all the other parts, the sound bed or the band that would support these tunes. And of course, there was experimentation all along the way. And ultimately, the project sat on the shelf just because the Dusters touring schedule was so busy. And this was my quarantine silver lining, having the time to finally get all the way into this project and finish it. So I'm going to play you one of the tracks here. And then we're going to do a breakdown of the sounds in that track. And then I'll go on to talking a little bit more about the process of how this all came together. So this is track one, Astral Plane. intro into the first melody of Astral Plane. And what exactly are we hearing in there in addition to the banjo? And again, that's the role of a producer, taking a piece of music and figuring out what sounds to surround that tune or that song with that will really make it have gravity to the listener. And when I was taking some of these demos and getting ready to turn them into actual songs that would appear on an album, I had to kind of conceive of the band. And again, using a lot of the tools that I'm into here in my studio, a lot of the stuff that was on interference, analog synths, strings, a lot of virtual instruments. Those are software instruments that are on the computer. Again, the samples, a lot of beats that I programmed, two guests on the record, Stuart Duncan on fiddle and Nick Falk on some live drums. 
but I built this little sample track that will sort of go through the sounds one by one so you can hear what's going on in that section of music we just listened to. And I left the banjo in at a low volume just to give some context. So we start out with a drum sample. This is actually a chopped up pre-recorded piece of Nick's playing and I programmed beats on all these tracks. That was usually the first thing that went in there. So there's a drum sample and then the clap track. That's Nick's live playing coming in, and those three things comprise the beat of the song. And then there's the step sequencer, and then there's that high sustaining drone, and those chimes, I love that sound. There's the bass, and that pizzicato cello sound guitar and the analog synth and all the instruments are pretty much in now as we move to the next section Stuart Duncan solo over the melody man he is truly the best an honor to have Stuart on here so yeah that's a snapshot of the band sound and most of those are virtual instruments that I did kind of the sound design and then played here in the studio of course the electric guitar there's definitely some strings on there some different guitars and there's some variation between tunes of course now check this out this is a section later in astral plane where it breaks down and the symphonic stuff is pretty prominent and i'll mute the band and then bring things back in so you can hear that sound so everything's still in there that's just the sample. And then there's the band back in. That's one of the signature sounds of trans banjo. And I can remember really clearly when that section and a few other sections like it came together. And it was just an awesome moment as a creator where a concept comes together, something really new and different. But more importantly, because I'm not necessarily just in search of something new and unique for the sake of creating something different, it just hit me as something really beautiful and musical and cool and something that I connected with. And that's what we're looking for as artists. And to take that a step further, something that really would support the banjo and recontextualize the banjo in a meaningful way. And that's the concept behind this album. Now, we've looked at a lot of the supporting voices, a lot of the band sounds, but I'm gonna give you one last look inside the tune at the melodic voices that are doubling the melodies that I play on banjo or playing harmonies to those melodies. And these melodic voices are the pizzicato cello sound, the electric guitar, and the analog synth. And here's a quick snapshot of one of those melodies. So now you've got a pretty good idea of what all the sounds are on this album, the lead sounds, and then of course the supporting sounds that lay down the groove and outline the chords and just bring all that texture to the music. As far as the process, it wasn't necessarily that linear. Not everything came together in the same way. Some of the music definitely existed on banjo before it got the trance banjo treatment. 
That would be Astral Plane, this one that we've just looked at, track two, Silver Droplet, track six, Cloud Valley, that's also on a Duster's record. So those were the ones that I was really experimenting with four years ago. I had those tracks on banjo and I started working up this treatment. And then as things evolved, I had sort of this template going and I would start for a few of the tracks actually building the sound bed first and Asleep at the Wheel of Fortune, the theme song to the podcast is one of those tracks where I had some of the vibe laid down and then that would actually inform the leading melodies that I would ultimately write on banjo. So like track four, Wall Facer is another one that came together that way. And this creative process went on for a while until I was able to focus in on the nine tracks that were really working that would ultimately make it onto the album. And then it was a matter of getting things to the finish line. And that can oftentimes be a really challenging part of the creative process. It's always fun to start a new idea, but to see things through to completion takes a lot of discipline and a lot of vision. And in the case of this album, the next thing for me to do was really finish the tune, finish the banjo melody. But this is an important part of the process. I didn't record the melody at that point. I didn't record the banjo part just yet. I would get everything else done first, the whole sound bed, play and record all those other supporting instruments until the track was totally dialed in so that I could then go and record the banjo parts as if it was a live recording session. And that was my attempt to bring as much organic, natural feel to the album because the nature of a project like this that is mostly created by one person, many of these parts are stitched together and pre-planned, but I wanted this leading banjo part to be as natural and as musical sounding as I possibly could. And that was the way that I tried to achieve that. And again, that whole process started about four years ago and I'm just so thrilled to finally have this music out there in the world. I want to say a big shout out to everyone who helped me make it happen. Nick Falk, Stuart Duncan, my two guests on the record, Billy Hume and Drew Becker for helping me get the mix dialed in, and to Glenn Schick, my amazing mastering engineer, and a big shout out to everyone at Americana Vibes, especially Ariel and Hillary for helping me get the album out there. So now you guys have an inside look at the music. Give Transbanjo a spin. Hope you dig it. All right, let's jump ahead to the second part of my conversation with the amazing Oteil Burbridge. We actually just announced that I will be special guest with Oteil at some upcoming shows here in Colorado. Can't wait for that and can't wait to roll the rest of this interview. So here we go. The dew-covered jungle is the song you sing. So all these years later, when I'm after Jess and I were married, she would play guitar, but she would never like strum. She would always finger pick. And I was like, you ever think about playing banjo? Because you always do this. And she, oh, man, I'd love a banjo. I was like, well, let's get one. You know, so we got one. Then she moved to Africa to work with Diane Fossey Gorilla Fund. And I'm at home boohooing, just so depressed. So I, I picked up her banjo because it was something that was new and I wanted to be not good at something again. Plus, I've always loved banjo. And it just was like, let me just give myself something to do. 
And then, so I, I remember calling her and going, how did you learn your forward, your, I didn't even know what they were called yet. I was like, how'd you learn your roles? She was just like, just on YouTube. So I just did beginning banjo roles on YouTube and I learned my forward role, my backward role, and then, you know, alternating thumb and blah, blah, blah. And then I started making different combinations. And then when I started trying to figure out this insane tuning and that helped me, you know, I started tinkering with the chords the way I do on six string bass. And then I, all of a sudden I had all these tunes that came out of exercises and I started making odd time exercises and, and now I'm just down the rabbit hole. I got the Scruggs book. Tony Trishka gave me his password to his teaching website. So I had full access to everything. Now I'm watching Give Me the Banjo documentary that Tony Trishka was the musical consultant for yeah. and Steve Martin. I went and I got Throw Down Your Heart by Bela. So good. Now I'm like YouTube and the African guys, but I can't play with them because I've been learning bluegrass. And now I'm frustrated. I'm like, I can't play with my bros on this thing. <laughs> so then I just forced myself to keep jamming with them. And then I found this thing that unlocked all my like African shit. And that's when all my tunes just exploded. The chordal stuff then got locked into these African patterns, but it's still finger picks. Man, and there's it's like, yeah, there's no know. getting around the scrug style on banjo, you know, and the, the, if you want to do that, like I didn't, I w I wanted to play the original, the African style. I wanted to play claw hammer at first. Yeah. yeah. And I was watching TV one day and I had all this big, a box of knickknacks and it had a bunch of picks in it of Jess's banjo picks. And I took one pick and I just went ding. And it was like, <laughs> well, I should say as a clarification, <laughs> if you're using finger picks and you're playing three finger style, yeah. Scruggs is oh, the heart of it all. And the, some of the best uh, yeah. advice I ever got on banjo. I remember I was living in Nashville, living with Chris Eldridge from punch brothers and his dad, of course, Ben Eldridge from the seldom scene, legendary yeah, banjo player seen, and a yeah. great, integrator of all these other styles and sounds, especially melodic styles, into a Scruggs-based sort of concept yeah. of banjo. And he told me, he said, because I was playing a lot of really progressive stuff that probably was was over my head, but that's what I was into. That's that's the how Bill your progression type. With, with music goes. You, you yeah. learn what you're into and that's what keeps you fired up. But he said to me, he said, you really need to learn Scruggs style because that's what puts the musical ideas in context. And I always thought that was the best piece of advice I ever got because banjo, it's like you're playing two instruments at one time. You know, yeah. you're rolling, but you're picking out these melodies. And like <coughs> one way I always sort of explain it to students is like, imagine a horn player. They play a phrase and then they rest and they take a breath. But on banjo, yeah. we don't really rest. We keep that roll going. Never, yeah. And that's the that's the framework. That's the structure, and that's what makes banjo playing sound great. And everyone from the most traditional guys, like you know, Jim Mills, and uh, you know the the really trad guys, Scruggs, to Bela, and that end of the spectrum. The one thing they all have in common is just that solid timing, that rhythm, that yeah. right hand. You know, that's what makes it go. And that's that's what's made kept me from playing it in public. <laughs> because you know seriously well, because no like, I, I hear you man but how cool is it though i love what you said a minute ago having something that you suck at is yeah. such an asset <clears throat> to all the other things that you're good at because it's like zen mind beginner's mind the more that we can exactly keep uh, that sort of beginner's 
attitude and focus. And and I'll do that with things that aren't even music. I'll go absolutely. I'll go try to whatever it is, hit a golf ball and just suck at it, but get it right that one time. Yep. And, and it's it like, so like oh. oh, it's just that pure thing. And if you yeah. can take that, if you can take that mentality, the mentality of a beginner, the whole world is open to you. And also, it doesn't matter how good you are. If you can bring yeah. that discipline back to the things that you're really deeply versed in, oh, such such an amazing well, asset. A, I heard this preacher say uh, the most important word is yet. So it could take a negative, you know. So you say, I can't do this. It's like, fine. Yet. No, you can't. Yeah, you can't right now. <laughs> so right. then I, and, and, and picking up banjo brought that back to me. See, this is how these bad things can, good can come out of them, no matter how bad it is. Because if Jess hadn't left, I wouldn't have, because I would not practice bass when I got home. I practiced drums. And I wouldn't even practice. I would play. I played drums. I played piano or keyboard or guitar or something. I, I didn't want to play the bass. It had gotten wrapped up into this is what it is. It's a career. It's the blah, blah, blah. When I picked up banjo, it reminded me how I felt when I was 14. And every time I had a victory, it was just huge, you know? And then all of a sudden, I made a lot of progress in a quick time, you know, in a short time. But I still had my career that I was doing, and I, my right hand still is my weakness. Like, left hand, I think, is way ahead of my right. Do they you, both need work. But. Do you anchor one finger or two fingers on, on the head with your right hand? Just the pinky. Just the pinky. I yeah. have it sitting on my lap right now to check. because I, <laughs> I think I tried to make both the pinky and ring, and then when I when – am not paying attention, then my ring finger comes up. Yeah. I think. So what are there, you... I think there was a little thing I bought one time that you put around these two <laughs> fingers. You know what I'm talking about? That's vibe, some yeah. super beginner shit. <laughs> so what do you, are you, when you play banjo now, I know it's, I, I should say, you know, funny story. The first time I think we ever played together were, were those Roosevelt gigs at yeah. the one up in Denver. And I was so looking forward to it because huge ARU fan and obviously loved your music. And and we got together there that first day and it was sort of a thrown together band. We were playing two nights and you came into the green room and I was sitting there with my banjo and you said, hey, man, can I get a lesson tomorrow? And I'm like, oh, yeah, that'll happen. Sure enough, <laughs> 10 a.m., my phone is blowing up with texts from O'Teal. And we, we had such a great hang that day, man, just playing banjos at my old apartment that was in, fun, man. In Denver. Um, but what do you, I remember, it seemed like writing and writing tunes was really the thing that you were mostly <clears throat> into. Is that is that kind of still what's going on? Yeah, well, it was, you know, I was doing exercises and then you kind of make patterns. You know, then I start changing the chords because the pattern here, I'm going to get bored, you know. And then it's like, oh, can I make it in five? What does it sound like in seven? Can I make a roll in nine? You know, and then all stuff. So then all of a sudden, you kind of have a tune, you know. So they kind of write themselves just out of the learning or exploring process, you know. That's so, why I say, like, I'm only comfortable playing my songs in public because I can't nearly measure up to 
other banjo players. So when it, when is that going to happen, man? When does when does the world get to see? It was supposed to be happening. The pandemic took. I had all the rehearsals for it. That's why I bought that. Deering was for that for those yeah. gigs. Cool. <clears throat> um, yeah, I was actually taking a uh, guitar tech out for myself for the first time on my solo gigs because I need somebody to. That banjo, you know, banjos are another thing. It's not like just a bass guitar. It's a little more difficult with the floating bridge and all. I was like, man, I ain't, I ain't touching that. I'll mess <laughs> it up. I need somebody that knows what's up. And yeah. so I, ha- I had a buddy that was going to do it for me, and then the pandemic took it all away. But it's coming. I, I can't wait, man. I look forward to it. One of these days, I want to want to get up. I want to get up there with you and do some, some twin oh. banjos in in nine. <laughs> oh man, there's many times that <clears throat> I considered calling you to see if you would be the banjo player so that I could stay on the bass, you know? And how come you didn't? <clears throat> I just, you know, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> we got, you know, we, it's still, it's still, uh, it's not too late because I, I was really say, would. We got time. We got time to make that happen. And- man, I'll send it to you seriously because you know I do have these gigs coming up in uh, February in Colorado. And yeah, I know. Josh told me about that. I want I I hoping to come down and, and sit in with you guys. We were starting out with just three of my Afro Billy, too. That's what I call it, Afro Billy, you know. Um, so I'll be happy to send you those three tunes, man. If you Hit learn, I would love to whip those out while we're in Colorado, man. They're really beautiful. That would be awesome, man. Well, I want to, you know, we've got a couple minutes left here. This has been so awesome, Otiel. I can't tell you how much i appreciate hearing sure i didn't think we were gonna go into all this stuff but you know whatever well it's it's, it's cool man like i was saying you know (laughs) i've i checked out some interviews and tons of talk about all the obvious and amazing stuff you know almonds dead and co and and it's it's been so cool to see you rocking out with with you know these titans of of the music world who have, you know, such an enduring legacy and to see you as part of that, you know, and, and adding what you do is so cool. But I did want to talk a little bit about the ARU before, yeah. before we wrap up, just because <laughs> for sure, man, you guys, I remember mirrors of embarrassment and just that, that sound, man, you guys were so ahead of your time. And it's like jam band is kind of a dirty word, even though I think these days there's a lot more integrity to it than maybe there yeah. was at one point in time. But to me, you guys were yeah. like fusion and so ahead of your time in in that regard. You know, all these different elements of rock and jazz, funk, Latin, bluegrass, country. Like it, it just was so yeah. cool. And, and the music was was so compelling for those of you who haven't checked out the ARU you know, it's, it's, you guys have always been sort of this breeding ground for amazing musicians. And I yeah. just curious about working with Colonel Bruce, man. Like what, <laughs> I mean, the legends legend, what, what was that like? What are some things that you took away from that? And uh, yeah, just, just give us a little insight into that experience. It's so hard to like condense. In fact, Dave schools who just did our podcast, I think his, comes out today actually we uh we were talking and we were like yeah we gotta have a semi-marathon 
podcast just about the Colonel because there's so like the Colonel always had the best musicians, like going back to 69, you know, like he was, Oh, he always, that's one of the first mysteries about him. It was like, well, technically from like a Berkeley school of music standpoint, he can't play, but he always had the best players. Like, and why was that? Because they all knew the same thing that I found out, and that is that he is an extraterrestrial <laughs> and a great musician, but that great music doesn't necessarily have to come from a good musician, right? <clears throat> like someone was asking us i think last night what do you who are geniuses who do you consider geniuses of music i said well i can name those but you know the question for me is is a genius a musical genius the highest thing rung for me and it's not to me like a musical jedi someone who can wield the force <clears throat> is what i need more out of music so um, so what does that mean? Break that down for us. Like Keith Jarrett is a musical genius, but Helen Wolf is a musical Jedi. Okay. To see Helen Wolf live would damn near overwhelm you. And I know because I've spoken to people who did see it live and they said to see that much energy, you can't even say be transmitted. It's just wielded. He couldn't even help it. That's why yeah. I like if I, I'm not impressed by anybody. I'm impressed by people that, yes, if you're a good steward of your gift and you take care of it and you work hard and you go far, but still I feel God's just using you to show off. Like you can't explain why you can do it better and someone else can't. Hmm. Like it comes way easier to me than it does to other people. It does. Yeah. That's just a fact. You know, like if I were to practice like I should practice, I'd be so much better than I am now, you know? So I but, guess kind of you know, what I'm hearing is it's it's not a function of technique. It's not a function even necessarily of Well, there study. are geniuses that that are also Jedis. Okay. Right? But, but, but that comes more as a function of intention, channeling yes. that thing. Now we're we're into the mystical thing because now it's like, you know, all men are not created equal in all things, you know, and some people can just do like, you know, when I saw Derek Trucks when he was like 13 and you're just like, that's impossible. Okay. So if you don't believe in miracles, go see that dude. Like get the the hell out of here. Like, you know, so, and, and Colonel Bruce could do that too. Colonel Bruce was like, I don't even need an instrument. And I was like, okay. And he would take off his shoe and he'd stand there and he'd just hold his shoe. And he, what he did is he created anticipation. He created, now people are waiting to see what happens. And then he would hold it. He would just hold there and just let the anticipation build and build. And now people are thinking, they're creating scenarios in their head about what's going on. And then he would just drop it and the gig would be up. Everybody like, ah! And he'd look at me like, I could do this shit all day long. I was just like, wow. He was like, music is life, and life is drama. You know, the drama of music is your life. It's not, 
He said, what you're doing is running your hands over a piece of wood. I want to hear your life, mm. you know? And I, and the, then I started looking at the players that he was really into and what he was, what he was hearing. And I was like, oh, I get it now. And he helped me understand folk music. Like I didn't understand Delta Blues. I didn't understand Bluegrass. I didn't understand. But then when I got to know the people, when I got to know Matt Mundy, when I played some Bluegrass festivals, when I'm, and I hear the music and I, I go, oh, I hear the coal mine. I hear, you know, their story. Okay, their so life. that's what that's yeah. what you mean. You, it's you. I, you hear what's underneath the music. You hear the, the person, the folk. The folk musician is like the the truest, most honest musician. But all the most uh, technically whatever music that's great still has that folk element in it. Whether it's Stravinsky or whether it's Art Tatum or Charlie Parker, or Coltrane, or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Miles. It has that folk, that human, you hear it. If you listen to bebop from afar, you hear New York. You hear the horns and the traffic. You hear the ah. You know, you just hear it. It's right there. It's right there, man. You know, And a lot of that is is a function of focusing on what you are and what nobody else is and being even that that original, mo- that original even the voice. moment, yeah, even just the moment. Yeah. Like my old Being guitar present. player, Mark Kimbrell, he's the greatest man because he couldn't help it. And other musicians would probably say he's inconsistent because he didn't play the same every night. But whatever was going on in his day was what is exactly what would come out of his guitar. Yeah. And I thought that that was the truly consistent thing because he was playing the truth of his moment every time and there was no question about it whether he was happy pissed off whatever it was you know anything playful you know depressed whatever like that's what came out and i thought that to me is the highest that form of genius and jedi that's what i want out of it that's when what's you, the highest yeah not who's the you, baddest when you start getting past all the technique and all the transcription, you start to practice and work on another thing that, you know, I feel like I've barely scratched the surface of, but that's one, I consider one of the greatest gifts, again, of a career in music, the adversity, the challenge of getting on stage or at the proving ground, this forum yeah. for working on that next intangible thing, which is just do your own shit, be real, be present be in the moment, yeah. let your ego, you know, slide away for a second and see what's there. That's what Bruce called the mirror of embarrassment. He said, you have to fully embrace the mirror of embarrassment. You're getting up there. I want you to get up there buck naked with a spotlight on you and microscopes blowing up in high def, even though we didn't have high def in 88, but, you know, not like, you know, but he was just saying all your moles, all your shit that you want. He's like, that's what I want. A stained want soul cringes at, at the, the small details, details in the mirrors of embarrassment. At the small details. Yeah. I want all that. Yeah. What about man, Matt Mundy? Holy oh. crap. Dude, I, I, I'll never forget, you know, I've, of course, I came to the banjo through Bela. Tales from the Acoustic um, Planet, yeah. Volume 1. Still yeah. my favorite all-time Bela record and track one, Up and Running. Before I was deep enough, you know, I was in high school and, and I didn't know 
who all the players were and you couldn't just go on Google, whatever. But yeah, for like years I'd play, I, and I didn't have the liner notes and that mandolin on track one, he's on a few tracks on that record. And, and then finally connecting the dots to the ARU stuff. And it was like yeah. that amazing intersection of all the things like technique, but originality yes. and then presence. Like you just he had you it, heard yeah. him. He was on the rails of the moment. And it yeah. was so exciting to listen to every time. It just was he he was a continual wonder to me. And while we were figuring out all this harmonic stuff, you know, stuff we were ex I was just exploring with just having got the six string bass, you know. Me, him, and Jimmy were all there right at the same time, like trying to figure out how can we do this and where we don't lose Bruce. And that, honestly, on a side note, was a great proving ground because Bruce needs that one, four, five. And so if we extrapolated things way, way out, if he could still hear the one, four, five in it and not get lost, we were like, success. Because that means we're not also, we're also not losing. Sure. The average person. The listener. But yeah, yeah, but Matt Mundy was like, man, just... And even I talked to John Cowan, and he was like, man, he's the cat. After I, Sam Bush, his yeah. right hand is... And I... You know, I don't think... I don't know if I've said this publicly or, or you know, where anybody could quote me, but... And anybody could get mad at me. or And I might be wrong, but I've... I still, when I listen to mandolin players... I don't hear that right hand like Matt, man. Matt just has this thing. And it's he, an intangible thing. You can't oh, teach it. You know, he's a Jedi, man. Yeah. Incredibly, <laughs> in, incredibly forceful, incredibly, you know, just there's meaning in that music. There's so much intention. And he was, he was kind of MIA for a while, but I looked on YouTube and you can find videos of him playing in like yeah. in this coffee house in Georgia, yep. you know, when last I start, year. When I moved back to, uh, Atlanta. Uh, we haven't been it. there in about four years, but we lived there for seven years. Yeah. And I hooked back up with him because I was in Lawrenceville, so coming wasn't that far away. Yeah. And I would go drive up there. In fact, this where's my little this metronome I got at his store, you know, the little yeah, music yeah. store the they have up in style. old school metronome. I still use it all the time. And uh yeah, so he's he's playing again, and that's really cool. And I used to go hang up there with him, and he he just latched on. I was amazed at how um, easily he picked up African and Afro-Cuban rhythms because he's such a great drummer on mandolin, so he, he was already doing it. And if you listen to Scruggs, all these upbeats and stuff, yeah. you know, like, I think Robert Palmer did this, like, Ethnomusicological, ethnomusicological study. Is that the right word? Anyway, he, the thesis of it was that only, the only in Africa do you find music where the two is stressed, where hmm. the two is like the one. That's the swing. And to me, that's like blue, except for bluegrass. He said it's only black musics that do. There's no white musics that do that. And I said, I think that that bluegrass is the one exception. Because when I listen to Scruggs, I hear all this Afro-Cuban and African stuff because it's all the syncopated stuff. It's all yeah. the upbeats. Yes, it's the one, the bass player's playing the one, but the mandolin player's chopping the two. So that's like the hi-hat and swing. Yep. 
and that's the where drums. the swing comes from. That swing. So I think bluegrass is the one exception, but it makes sense because it was start. You know, the, uh, the banjo comes from Africa. So of course. Well, and Scruggs know, is like, so cool too because, like, when people think syncopation, you know, they think like swung eighth notes, but he played so even. And played yes. all these notes, but he could put that accent yes, wherever he wanted. And that was that's where the, the money is at. Dude, that's where the money... And that's what just pulled me right in. And that I think that's why me and Matt Mundy were just the, the rhythm, you know. And then we were on both on this harmonic exploration that was new to both of us. I had just got the six string for the first time in 91, I had been playing with the ARU already for three years at that point, you yeah. know? And so all it was brand new, and we went on that exploration together. So all the stuff that, you know, I was figuring out and showing him, he would just, like, have it like that. He'd go to the – he'd see it, and then on the gig that night, it was like <laughs> – he was fluent. Musical I was Jedi. Just like, this guy's insane. Yeah. Like, well, I never guys, seen anything man, like it. you guys, ARU, I'll say it again, you guys have provided – so much inspiration and even though you. you know and I, I remember i was hearing you talk about it on frasco's podcast and it wasn't about the commercial success it wasn't about making money it was just about <laughs> we were starving <laughs> but you guys God. were ripping and you guys were really laying that groundwork for you know if you look at the the music scene today bands like ours leftover salmon is a great example fusion bands the playing has really come a long way now that the kind of jam circuit, for lack of a better word, was kind of inundated with some kind of half-cooked bands for a minute. But there's a lot of great, great, great musicians on that scene who have all these things we're talking about. And yeah. ARU, man, you guys really, really started started a trend. The OG fusion band, man. <laughs> well, I think we really needed to learn from each other because, you know, I always felt like... Uh, like, my wife is a good gauge. People that are not musicians, although I can't say that about her because she's a good piano player, but a lot of people that are not musicians are a good gauge for if we're doing it right. Because for me, it is like coming from African music, everything you're doing, it's a community thing. You're doing it for the dancers. Like, you know what? You're doing it to communicate what the beats meet, whatever that's whatever it pertains to, a celebration or whatever, you know. So there's always that people element for it. It's not just to be the crazed genius that sat in a room and now I am, you know, like it's not that, you know, like bluegrass is not that, you know. So I feel like the the fusion guys and the more technical guys need to learn more from the folk guys that maybe don't have as much chops, but that connect with people more. Now, if we can take that if we could get some of that and put it all together then then you have like people out there that that do both like a louis armstrong or a miles davis or a stevie wonder or yeah bluegrass is man incredibly deceptive that way you know at Mm -hmm. first glance music can seem simple and just a few chords but man when you go deep when you when you hear Ralph Stanley's singing or when you hear the crowd reaction when Scruggs first played the Opry with Monroe, I mean, the people went ballistic. Absolutely. And the music has this incredible energy and it has the chops and it has all the elements that make us go, but then it also has this this cultural thing and, and this- I origin- mean, consider this, dude. 
The first bluegrass musicians that I saw play live were Matt and Mark Mundy, Scott Vestal, and Jeff Autry. I was like, holy shit. Vestal These is my guys boy. are playing. I don't care what style of music you're into. Yeah. These dudes are playing. These are serious players. But that whole, the deep tied to the tradition and the folk, you know, the whole thing. Like, you oh, get man. that, I was just like, wow, this is, I was eternally fascinated. It still am. Scott's banjo playing is, oh my God. He's, he's one, he's kind of top five all time for me. He's, and it's crazy because, you know, I, I was hearing him with the Sam Bush band and I was hearing him on his solo projects. And then someone was like, have you ever heard Scott Vestal play with Doyle Lawson and Quicksilver? And you can Ooh. hear him play Scruggs to the letter. Oh, and dude, he hearing that, that, yeah, you know, that was Killed. one of the yeah. things that really cemented that notion that Scruggs is is the framework, you know. And if you can absolutely, if you can learn that stepping stone and let everything else flow from there. You're really gonna have, you know, what I think is is a complete sound on banjo. Yeah, um, and I've, one day I'll, <laughs> one, day I'll get here. <laughs> one day I hope to have something like that, but. Man, Oteil, what a pleasure having you on today, brother. Can't oh, thank, thank you, you enough, seriously. And <laughs> Same here. I always love uh, I love hanging with you, man. I likewise. wish that I had more time to do it. I want to play some of the – you told me about all those banjos you got. I was like, oh, I'm not worthy, but I'd love to play every friggin' one of them. You know? Well, let's um, let's try to connect when you're, when you're out here in Colorado and, um, you know, when you're, when you're ready for – for some five string and, and and some of your tunes and yeah, look, I'm serious, man. Like I will call you back on Facetime or Zoom anytime to where I'll send you those tunes as soon as we go off of this. And if you're game, you know I'll go over them with you. I got I have some acoustic banjos in my storage space too, so I would love for you, man. Ah. Oh. Because then I could play bass because the bass lines are so African, man. Yeah. And it needs that touch on it, you know? Well, send them over yeah. and, and we'll make it happen. And uh, just thanks, man, for the inspiration over the years, all the great music and, you know, your friendship as well. It, it, it really means a lot. And uh, it's been Same such here. a pleasure talking to you today. And, you know, one thing I don't know if I want to say, because I was going to do a post about it during the whole George Floyd thing. Remember when everybody posted this just black? There was nothing on Instagram. The whole thing was just black. Mm -hmm. And I know there were some really hardcore, you know, black militant people. They were like, yeah, that's bullshit. That was, the industry wanted you to do that. And I get it. That's true. But the thing that struck me about it was, you know, in my feed, there are lots of banjo players <laughs> and bluegrass musicians and people that don't play banjo or you don't think of as a banjo player like Billy Strings or something, even though I'm pretty sure he does play banjo. But all those bluegrass musicians and banjo players had those black screens come up, and I thought, I need to screenshot each one of these and do a post, because people are so stereotypical of bluegrass musicians, white Southerners in general, and it really pisses me off, because as someone who has been stereotyped, you know that it's not true. Like, not everybody's that way. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know, people would have to have my feed to realize, you know, like I would love to hand 
my feed to like not that I would have to convince my sister, but you know, the average black person that would never think this and go look, <laughs> you know, look at one bluegrass musician after another going fuck this shit. We're not down with this racist bullshit. Yeah. You well, know? and the music has evolved not just in the aesthetic but also geographically and yeah. It's, it's everywhere now. And, but it's and that I'm, way in the South, too. I mean, Ralph Stanley came out and endorsed Obama the yep. first time. That's right. You know? And I've, it's, it goes all the way back. I mean, look at High Lonesome and Bill Monroe talking about that old black guy that taught him how to play, I guess, the blues stuff. And he oh, took yeah. that and, and put it together with his grandma's Celtic tunes and created bluegrass. There's always been this thing. And me and Matt Mundy represented that generation's version of what has happened all the way since we got all got here. Oh man, the roots, <laughs> you know, I mean, are undeniable and you yeah. know, look at the banjo that look where it came from, you know, and none but that's of that... what I'm saying. Everybody, th- well, I won't say everybody, but a lot of people think white and black that all those people on the white side were just all racist. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Let's not do the same stereotyping. So I thank you for that. You know, I don't have to thank you for not being a racist, but, you know, thank you yeah, for man. when I would do that post to help me prove my point. <laughs> for sure, man. No, I, I, I know what you mean, and I observe the same thing in my feed, and I've engaged people in, in some tough conversations. And, you know, it's, it's, it's just another clear indication that people are really a product of where they come from and to open your mind, you know, you need some exposure and hopefully we're getting some of that in this time because bluegrass does have a lot more diversity, diversity of thought, diversity of people who, who play the music. And if we are to deny our roots, it's like bluegrass wouldn't exist if it, if it weren't for myriad, you know, yes, influences right. from all over the cultural spectrum. So it's, it's, I how about new grass getting a, uh, inducted into the hall of fame i thought that was so great man yeah uh, you know those guys were out on a limb man like playing reggae and shit you know people were like oh that was you my know, jam that, that that was this thing it was like that ain't like earl you know yeah. no, that, that, <laughs> that, which that, means it's that's, wrong that's always <laughs> that's how all types of evolution doesn't come without growing pains in music and society yeah. and you know those guys blazed a trail and i think think we're starting to see that that trail was bigger than just the music you know and and yes thankfully so because the music does have such a broad appeal and i feel like bluegrass is cool again man and it's starting to get out there and starting to really get its due and it's appreciated by a lot of people who don't know about this history and just give it to a fresh set of ears and that music is pretty undeniable yeah absolutely man well thanks again Brother, for doing this, really yeah, appreciate man. it, man. Love hanging with you any any chance we get. And um, hit me up with those banjo tunes, and I'll try and catch you when you make it out this way. Absolutely. Love you, brother. All right, likewise. Thanks so much, O'Teal. Talk to you soon, man. Bye. That's a wrap on another episode of Inside the Musician's Brain. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Big thanks to my amazing guest, O'Teal Burbridge. Big shout out to Osiris Media and Americana Vibes for helping me make the podcast happen. And to our excellent sponsors, EMG Pickups and Daddario. I'm Chris Pandolfi, signing off for now, but I'll see you back here in two weeks for another episode of Inside the Musician's Brain.
What is a city without its music? The legacy of the New York Philharmonic is incredible. Nearly two centuries of history. That's a lot of music and a lot of stories. I was sitting on stage for the very first time thinking, I can't quite believe this is happening. Join me, Jamie Bernstein, as we explore the history of the New York Philharmonic. It's the NY Phil story made in New York, a podcast about a city, its people, and their orchestra. Listen wherever you get podcasts. Hey everyone, this is Tuck from Fit for a King, an off-road minivan. Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Moths to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media.